Hello, fans of Law and Candor. We welcome you to this episode of Season 2 of Law and Candor, the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. I'm Rob, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill, and we are thrilled to have you here. Uh, before we kick off, we like to go to one of our favorite things, Sightings of Radical Brilliance where we bring you the latest in newsworthy innovation, acts of sheer genius, and basically anything else that sounds interesting to us. Yeah, this is interesting. So uh, we've seen artificial intelligence in the areas of chess. We've seen it, um, you know, in, in other games of, of, of strategy. Um, where now they're getting into poker, which is really interesting. Artificial intelligence masters the game of poker. This was in Forbes magazine. Bernard Marr wrote the article. Uh, really interesting. Uh, and, all, all, you know, not not only in terms of uh, uh, how it worked, but ultimately it's it's success uh, and limitations. And I think what, one of the things I found really fascinating about it was that uh, you know poker, where, where, the way I was taught poker, it it's not always the best cards that win, right? So you're playing the other players and not necessarily playing your cards. Yeah, like I like I totally get this in the concept of something like Jeopardy, you know, or chess, where you know like there's sort of like finite things you can do, but. This one really surprised me because I think it's for me, it's the first time I saw this used that kind of highlights that aspect of, you know, people in poker do unpredictable things, you know, like they they bluff. Like, how does an algorithm take that into account? Because, you know, in the one that was designed and I think specifically, you know, this was the deep stack team at the University of Alberta. You know, they and, and again, this is, you know, head to head Texas Hold'em poker, you know, after playing over 44,000 games you know, basically the algorithm was doing 10 times better than what a professional poker player would do. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. And it said something, yeah, for, it's 40, 45,000 times you'd have to play. I mean, that would be, you'd be really, you'd have to have like uh, uh, several uh, dozen cups of coffee to get that, to get the far. But you also saw that it was only, they were only achieving success when they were going head to head. It was it had to be a one-on-one battle with one other player and you couldn't be playing like a, a table of five or six people. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, it would just make it so much more complex to have to to account for that. But, but you know, even of that limitation of one-on-one, fascinating you know what ai is is able to do and i think um you know this one was just kind of a fun one for me yeah and i think it's you know it's just a matter of time before they can do three four five and six players and i will never play online poker again because who knows if some kids from the university of alabama are sitting on the other side having their having their computer win for them i it just it was it's was super interesting again I, I thought again i agree with you uh chess and jeopardy i get it uh poker i didn't think um would be quite as easy but it, it's it's really amazing what they're what they're able to do yeah, fortunately, I learned my lesson uh, many, many years ago that playing online is not a good thing, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our title today is The Privilege of Leveraging Privilege in Review Tools. I think we all know that uh, privilege is usually the most expensive and time-consuming part of a review. Lots of fun things to talk about today. And welcome to our special guest, Joanna Harrison. Senior Solutions Architect Extraordinaire here at Lighthouse. And Joanna, could you maybe just introduce yourself and give us a little background? Sure thing. Thanks, guys, for having me. Um, So my background has been as paralegal um, early on in my days. And just so you know, I'm fully qualified for this industry because I have a sports management degree. Of course. Everybody everybody should definitely (laughs) pay heed. Um, But after being a paralegal for several years, I moved into the e-discovery space when I didn't even know what a gigabyte was. So you should all feel a lot better about that. I've come a long ways. Um, So I was a project manager and then have moved my way on to more of the sales side of the fence and helping onboard clients. So I have had 
a breadth of experience and exposure to big corporations, uh, Amlon 50 law firms, as well as working on some very high profile, high volume cases. Cool. So, all right, let's, first of all, let's also set the stage here. You are the second biggest wise ass in the corporation next to me. <laughs> Are so you sure? I, just, I, I, you know, I, I think it, it goes back and forth and I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask me, I think it's me. If you ask you, I think it's you. And if you ask the whole company, it depends on who's in the room. But they let's, pretty let's, much let's, just point at both of us and say, we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In, 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 in a crowded field, you're both finalists. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Very um, true. So, and there, there are no losers. There are no winners in that game, but there are also no losers. Okay. So, but it, it all seriousness, let's get, to, let's get to this thing. And, and I know this is going to sound rudimentary, but let's talk about why privilege is a priority. Talk about the risks and the costs associated with it. So I think that privilege is the most important because the risk associated with it is so high. And I also think there's a bit of a fear factor on that with everybody that, you know, understanding the great risk about it, they have a tendency to then really just kind of limit themselves to what they can do to really achieve effectiveness with Priv Review. They should open themselves up a little bit more to being more efficient, having the discussion, and not so much closing themselves off to, I've got to set my eyes on this at, you know, the rate of $500 an hour. I, I agree with you, Joanna. Like, it's, it's kind of easy to say it. But at the same time, if you look at the way privilege gets identified today in your typical review, it's probably not that great of a process and pretty inefficient. Can you talk about that a little? It is. I think that there's a lot of third-party data that falls into it out of fear and wanting to be over-inclusive, which then makes your priv review that much more bulky and then, you know, of course, more costly. So I think that there can be better ways to identify potentially privilege for that review than just running those general search terms that we see all the time, confidential, privilege, throwing out law firm names. I mean, the way email is used today alone with, I, let's all face it, fantasy football, everyone, we all do it, especially NCAA tournaments. So it muddies the waters very easily. I think one thing that it's a little bit crazy is that, you know, really maybe just in the last two or three years where technology's improved a little bit and we have the ability to start analyzing these priv screening techniques. For example, I know that, you know, we've actually on behalf of clients analyzed on a keyword by keyword basis, you know, how often is that keyword actually identifying priv documents and how many false positives are in there? I know that every client who's gone through that process has been shocked at how inefficient it is. I agree. And I think a lot of people, you bring up a good point, a lot of people don't reflect back on the work that they've done to see what that analysis is and where they can improve moving forward. It's sort of like, we're done with this case, thank God, let's move on. <laughs> Instead of learning from what you've done so you can be more efficient the next time around. It's funny. Yeah, to that point, uh, I think that the we we start to see uh, companies will always add priv terms to their sheet, you know, to their term list that they're so proud of that if you printed it out would be a mile high if you printed it out and stacked it up on a desk. But they never go back and see how effective it is. They just they'd rather be over inclusive, which you just said could lead to and usually does lead to higher costs. But so let's talk about then why privilege is so important uh, for folks in the e discovery space. Priv review is really important because you have the risk associated, the cost associated with it, but I think equally so, clawing back anything inadvertently produced is getting tougher. There is much more qualification that has to go around it. It's not accepted that, oops, something slipped through. So I think it's more important that people have processes and workflows associated with it so that these situations are much better controlled so there aren't those moments of oops. 
Yeah, and when you do a linear when you do a linear priv review, what you start to see is, I, I mean, if you're averaging 50 docs an hour on responsive, non-responsive, you could drop down to. I, I I've been, worked on a case recently where the review vendor was down to 17, 18 docs an hour, just because it's a little bit right. more nuanced. They're taking their time with it a little bit more, and that's why even if you're paying that same you know 50 dollars an hour for their contract attorney, you're paying you know it's that much more expensive because you're reviewing half as much an hour. Well, and and I think even worse, it, it's like. Not only does the review slow down, but there's this kind of like bias that you're going to overpriv things because there's a bad penalty if you let a priv document through. There's really not that much of a penalty if if something's on the borderline and you just mark it priv. But the problem is then that has to go to a second level review where the hours continually stack up, and at that level, you know, you just see a lot of things being deprived, you know, at at a great cost. And maybe just talking about that a little bit, what tools are available out there right now to kind of help make this a little easier? I know there are tools that are available, and some of them are really more about workflow incorporating technology that's available. And I think what you have to do is work with your provider to ask about those because, you know, providers do have a lot of experience, a lot of exposure across, you know, all these different litigation types that they experience. And it's a matter of working with them. I do have experience working on a uh, international financial bank with a review provider that they trust implicitly to conduct their privilege review because they have established workflows and utilize the technology that's provided to them to help assist in identifying what is potentially privileged and trusting just basic reviewers that have a history of being with that company. It does not necessarily need to fall on a senior level attorney to do it. I think that's a preferential thing. I think that people just need to start trusting the partners they work with and ask all those questions, identify and flesh out those workflows. I think that's going to be a generational thing, too. I think the younger partners are more open to that, and the older partners think that contract attorneys as an industry is just something that shouldn't exist. But that's a, that's a whole other thing. But what about, uh, talk about the you talked about the tools for identifying PRIV. What about tools that exist for PRIV logging? There are tools for PRIV logging. A lot of them are built within the applications themselves, so relativity being a big one. I mean, let's talk about the, the, the main re- review uh, platform that is out there. There are tools that are built within it to help you track decisions that are made, be consistent in the coding of it, because that's another big one, right? It's not just privileged anymore. There's reasons behind it that follow, and they're quite lengthy, and you need consistency in those privilege calls. So there are tools that help you with the way they're built within the system to help be consistent in those coding decisions, and then maintain version control. That's another big one. I mean, as a paralegal back in the day, I didn't have the luxury of that when I was manually typing them up in an Excel spreadsheet late at night. Don't worry. <laughs> Case went fine. Plus your hands were probably hurting from that manual bait stamping thing too. Right. <laughs> you know, I had developed quite an art form in getting those Bates labels on very efficiently. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just generally, Joanna, like, you know, what are some tips and tricks that you can give to people out there, you know, specifically as it relates to workflows? So I would say that in all the cases you're doing, there's going to be some level of privilege review. And in some cases, the only thing you're doing is privilege review. So you need to focus on going through that data, identifying what actually is privileged based on the merits of that case, and being streamlined and efficient and using your search terms, analysis. I mean, use analytics. It's out there for you to use. And I don't think enough people leverage analytics in the aspect of identifying privilege as they do in terms of responsiveness. And it works both ways. So leverage the technology at your fingertips to develop those workflows, work with your providers, and establish it. Ask them about case studies that they've had or experiences that they've had. Test it out prove it to them and spend the time when you're done with a case 
going back and doing that analysis because that is where you're actually going to get the real metrics that help you formulate your workflows moving forward. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of technologies out there. You know, we have some, obviously other vendors have some. I know we worked with Text IQ and some of the stuff that they're doing around specifically around Priv. And and I agree. I think that I think it's time to, you know, attorneys finally started trusting uh, technology when it came to responsive, non-responsive. And now they need to, even though it's a little bit more nuanced, I think they st- have to start talking about it for Priv as well. Because the cases are just getting bigger and bigger. And what used to have, you know, a medium-sized case would have maybe 2,000, 3,000 Priv docs. Now you're seeing a lot more. A medium-sized case now is several terabytes and, and not, uh, you know, a couple hundred gigs. So uh, by, you know, the collateral effect of that is you're going to start seeing a lot more Priv docs. So I think we do have to start leveraging more technology. So let me wrap up here. We got uh, some brilliant points made. We got be more open to a fi- uh, uh, and uh, to making your process more efficient. Over inclusiveness isn't always better. It's likely going to end up costing more. And frankly, you know, trust your partners and trust technology. I don't think we've said anything here or that you've said anything here that's controversial. But I do think that people have to start leveraging technology more and trusting their partners a little bit more. Otherwise, they're going to end up with these huge bills and 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 inability to repurpose work product and things like that. And it's just not going to get any better if they keep doing it in a linear fashion. That's a good point, Bill. It's been recorded and it's being broadcasted. I agree with you. Um, Bringing up Text IQ, I will say people are afraid to spend money. The thing is, is that you need to spend the money up front. Otherwise, you will be spending a lot of money on the backside, potentially. I I, I disagree, but only in the context of my wife. She has no problem spending money. Um, And it's actually becoming an issue. So the partners I work with, yes, they have trouble spending money. But my life partner, she has no trouble spending money, oddly enough. I will borrow your credit card and buy myself some new shoes. I wouldn't even notice. I, I wouldn't even notice. If, if, if there were shoes on it, I won't even notice. I'll just assume my wife did it. That's awesome. So... Joanna, thank you. I could say as from one wise ass to another, you were fantastic today. I was a little bit better, but you were fantastic today. I think that we'll just unseat you from this whole podcast moving forward. <laughs> and, and I just want to thank you both for letting me get a few words in edgewise between the two of you. Like it, That was a great honor in itself. It's tough, Rob, but I love you. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joanna. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks, you guys.